Uh, a little while back, don't know if you saw it on the news, but Don Bradman's cricket bat went up for auction in Melbourne. This was the bat that Bradman used in his first ever test match, uh, and he used it to score a total of 82 runs. They showed it on the news. One of the auctioneers, wearing white gloves as they do, was very carefully uh, holding the bat. To be honest, it didn't look much. Uh, it was all scratched. It was all battered. It, uh, the grip looked like it had all perished on the handle with age. Uh, you'd pick up a much better looking bat, uh, probably a much better quality bat down at Sports World. It actually looked like one of Stuart's old bats down in our shed. It sold for $145,000. Because, of course, the preciousness of the bat wasn't based on what it looked like or what it was made of. The, the preciousness of the bat was based on the fact that this was, this was Bradman's bat. The preciousness lay in who it belonged to. Which leads us to this, the final chapter of 1 Peter. And a final chapter uh, in a letter which has been filled with all sorts of descriptions and images as to who we are as Christians. And here in the final chapter, we get another final description, a new dimension of who we are as Christians. We are described as God's flock. And suddenly you see, just like Bradman's bat, by using that phrase, God's flock, the text is suddenly full of a real sense of preciousness of who we are because of who we belong to. We are God's flock. See, up until now, the descriptions that have been used of us as Christians all through the letter, they've been very grand and cosmic, really. Uh, we've been described as God's elect. We've been described as being privileged to know God's epic plans of salvation. We've been described as aliens and strangers in this world. Uh, our lives are defined by eternity, not just the here and now. We've been described as a holy nation, a royal priesthood, a spiritual house. They've been all very big ideas, really quite imposing ideas, uh, actually. But today, as the letter closes, it's actually more a feeling of, of intimacy that comes into the text. It's a really deep, personal, reassuring mood that washes into this final chapter. Friends, we are God's flock. God's flock. And because of that, Peter has three things that he wants to tell us in this final chapter. The first being that as God's flock, we should be caring of one another. Verse 1. To the elders among you, I appeal, I appeal as a fellow elder, or a witness of God, Christ's suffering, and one who will also share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds, God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseas, not because you must, but because you're willing, as God wants you to be, not greedy for money, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Now, Peter's opening comments here in this chapter, they're directed to the leaders of the churches that he's been writing to, and he's effectively saying to them, you guys ought to be genuine in your care of God's flock, because this isn't just anyone's flock, you see, this is God's flock we're talking about and God's they need to be well cared for and so he even identifies three wrong motives that can hinder leaders from caring well enough for God's flock in verse 2 he mentions doing things in the church family out of a sense of duty you know simply because you feel as if you've got to not necessarily because you really care about the other people in the same verse he talks about doing things for money 
Perhaps we could broaden that out by, by doing things in a church family simply because you'll get what you will get out of it. Again, uh, it's, it, you don't really care about the people. It's just what you're going to get. Thirdly, in verse 3, he mentions lording it over people, doing things in a bossy way, a pushy way, not really being prepared to be inconvenienced, instead just getting everyone else to, to do things around you that suit you because, in an, again, you don't really care for the other people. You're more interested in yourself. These are all false motives that spring from pride, really. These are all motives that spring from caring more about yourself than the other people in God's flock. The pride of wanting to be noticed, of being served rather than to serve, thinking that we're the important one, not anyone else. And Peter's saying to the leaders, don't be like that, because this is God's flock. And then, just in case you're sitting there thinking, well, just as well I'm not a shepherd, you know, you don't see yourself as one of the leaders. Well, sorry, but Peter now broadens that whole topic to include us all. Verse 5, young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. During the 1700s, two of the, the great Christian preachers of the time were George Whitfield and John Wesley. Perhaps you've heard the names. Very, very famous men. Uh, but the two men disagreed very, very strongly over the issue of predestination. The two men couldn't agree with each other on to the, as to the idea of whether or not God chooses people or God elects his people. Um, because of the disagreement, because it was really quite so strong, Whitfield, who uh, most people reckon was by far the better preacher, Whitfield was once asked if he, would even, if he thought he would even see Wesley in heaven. Whitfield replied, I fear not, for he will be so near the eternal throne and I at such a distance, I shall hardly get a sight of him. Isn't that a lovely expression of humility? And that's what Peter's saying here. All of you, clothe yourselves in humility towards one another. And it's flowing out of this new dimension of who we are that Peter's dropped into the text here, that, that we're God's flock. Okay, and sure, some of us might be a bit awkward and a bit strange. We might disagree with each other over some things. And maybe like Brad, Bradman's bat, uh, some of us might look a bit battered and rough around the edges. I'm not naming names. But you see, <laughs> we're in God's flock. And that makes us very special indeed. So clothe yourselves with humility towards the others in this room. This discussion about humility now causes Peter to move on to being humble before God. And ultimately the discussion shifts from caring for each other to being cared for by God. Verse 6. Humble yourself therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. I want you to physically look down at your Bibles there and notice those last four words of verse 7. He cares for you. Can you get into your head who the he is in that sentence? This is the eternal wise maker of the universe who cares for you. You know, the one who simply said the word and entire planets and galaxies spun into, the, into place 
This is the true and living God for whom nothing is impossible. This is the true and living God whose ways are always loving, always wise, always just, always good. And the verse is telling us that he cares for you. He's not just vaguely aware of you. He is not just well informed about you. He cares for you. He's concerned for you. He knows what you're going through just at the moment. And it matters to him deeply. It's a great truth and it's flowing straight out of this identity that we are God's flock because, you see, even to use that phrase um, in this final chapter, God's flock, it taps into a heap of very, very tender passages all through the Bible, doesn't it? Psalm 23. You know that one, don't you? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Ezekiel 34. For this is what the sovereign Lord says, I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so will I look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they are scattered on the day of clouds and darkness. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. John chapter 10, Jesus speaking. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep, my sheep listen to my voice, I know them, they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. Friends, to be, in, to be one of God's flock is to be protected. It's to be safeguarded. To be in God's flock is to know Jesus and for him to know you. To be in God's flock is to have Jesus lay down his life for you. To be in God's flock is to never perish and to never be able to be snatched out of God's own hand. It's to have the God of all the universe care for you. And he does it naturally and he does it willingly and he does it joyfully. And therefore, Peter encourages us to humble ourselves before him and to cast our anxieties on him. And it's an interesting connection between those two things. The the NIV, which most of us have, misses it a bit. If you've got an ESV, it'll say, Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, casting your anxieties on him. In other words, the connection is that we show that we are humble before God by casting our anxieties onto him. Or perhaps to put it another way, to not cast your troubles onto God is in fact an act of pride before God. Now, I don't know, this is a good lesson for me because if some of you might know, I'm a very anxious person. I cannot begin to tell you the number of things that I worry over. And this is a helpful rebuke for me. Because I don't want to think of myself as being proud before God. But the verses are actually saying that that's the subtlety of pride. That to be overly anxious about stuff, the passage is saying that in a sense that is actually an act of pride. Because the humble person 
Will they cast their anxieties on God? And therefore, as John Piper writes, quote, Whenever your heart starts to be anxious about the future, preach to yourself and say, Heart, who do you think you are to be afraid of the future and nullify the, pro- the promises of God? No, heart, I will not exalt myself with anxiety. I will humble myself in joy as I trust this precious, great promise of God. He cares for you. It's a lovely thing to be in God's flock. So wonderful that we would never, ever want to stray from it. Which is why after talking about caring for each other and being cared for for by God, uh, Peter now turns to talk about being careful not to stray. Verse 8. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. Now, this is not the first time Peter has talked about being careful in this world. Maybe you remember that. Way back in chapter 1, he talked about being self-controlled back there, not conforming to evil desires. Chapter 2, he talked about us as aliens and strangers to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against our soul. So it's not the first time he's talked about being careful. What's really interesting, though, this is the first time he's mentioned the devil in the entire letter. It's almost as if he saved it up to the end so as to uh, emphasise the fact that all the evil that is actually waging war on us in the world, all the struggles that we're going through, it's actually the devil behind all of this. And the imagery he uses of the devil is deliberately playing off this whole imagery of us as God's flock. That's why he pictures the devil as a lion here, roaring, looking for someone to devour. He's got in mind the sort of Asiatic lions that used to terrorise the sheep back then. The lion who would look for the lazy sheep, the uh, dawdling sheep behind, the distracted sheep, the unaware one that has wandered off into danger. And Peter here is saying, hey, don't be that sheep. Keep your wits about you. Be self-controlled. Be be awake to the fact that there actually are forces of evil that are marshalled against you so as to try and get you to wander from the flock. Lies will come into your head that, that Jesus isn't worth the effort. You'll start to doubt sometimes whether or not it makes any difference to pray or or read the Bible. Uh, We'll be tempted to be lax in our commitment. We'll be tempted to to watch telly rather than have a quiet time. We'll we'll be tempted to do something else, have a sleep in rather than get to church. We'll be tempted just by the busyness of life to do other things rather than think and focus on Jesus. You're going to be tempted this morning to go home and forget this Bible passage before you even reach the front door. And at the end of this letter, Paul, uh, P- Peter is calling his readers to resist that and stand firm. Don't swap being in God's flock for anything. Recognise that, you know, that, that, that thin edge of the wedge that might even be in your life now and which might be sort of quite innocent at the moment, but in due time it will lead you away from Jesus. Be really careful of the thin edge of the wedge that can seduce you out of the flock because that is the last thing we want to happen because you see for those in God's flock we are glory bound verse 9 
Resist him standing firm in the faith because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of suffering. And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while will himself restore you, make you strong, firm and steadfast. In the 1980s, the world record holder for the 1500 metres running race was a bloke named Eamon Coughlin. Uh, however, in the qualifying heats in the World Indoor Track Championships with about two and a half laps to go in the late 80s, Coughlin uh, tripped and fell. With an amazing effort, he got up, managed to catch the leaders again, and within uh, 20 metres of the finish line, he, he'd worked his way back into third place which was just good enough to get into qualifying for the finals. In third place, he looked over his left shoulder and seeing no one behind him, he eased up, just relaxed. And another runner on his right side sprinted past him in the last metre and he was eliminated from the finals. When asked what went wrong, was simple. I took my eyes off the finish line. Peter doesn't want his readers to take their eyes off the finish line. He doesn't want that to happen to members of God's flock and so he here reminds them of what the finish line is for them, the eternal glory that they will be called to in Christ. In fact, it's not just there in verse 10. Uh, he's already done it in verse 1, if you notice that. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's sufferings, and one who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Verse 4, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. It's very interesting that in this last chapter, as the whole letter draws to a close, and remember this is a letter written to Christians who are getting a hard time, this is Christians who are scattered throughout Asia Minor and uh, they're sort of nobodies living nowhere in particular, suffering unjustly for following Jesus. But as the letter closes down more and more, it points their eyes to the finish line. More and more as the final chapter goes on, it holds out to us the encouragement that there will be a day when Christ will return, this world with its sufferings will be wrapped up and a new creation will be gloriously ushered in and we who are God's flock will get to share in that glory. We'll get to rest. Is that a good word? Is life tough? Last month there was a story in the news about a 12-year-old boy who slipped and fell into a rain-swollen river uh, with heavy rain beating down on him and the river level rising and the current dragging at him. Bradley Edwards managed to grab hold of a rock ledge where he held on for dear life while his little friend ran off and got help. What kept him hanging in there? He knew a rescue was on its way. What kept him, what kept him as he got tired on top? What, what just went through his head so he just kept holding on? He knew that one, sometime soon he'd be safe. Sometime soon I'll be safe. Sometime soon I'll be safe. Life can be a bit like that. 
Sometimes life feels like you're just holding on for dear life as stuff comes at you at every direction. And here at the end of the letter, Peter is reminding his readers that because of Jesus, because of who they are as, Jesus, as followers of Jesus, one day soon they'll be safe. One day soon they'll be safe. So just hang on. As God's flock... As God's flock, a day is coming when, when, when you will get to lie down in green pastures. As a royal priesthood and a people of God, a day is coming when you will finally and fully be with God and he will wipe every tear from your eyes. As God's privileged elect, a day is coming when you will receive the inheritance that is presently reserved for you in heaven. As aliens and strangers in this world, a day is coming when we will finally be home. So humble yourself under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after we've suffered a little while, God will restore us. Make us strong. Make us firm. Make us steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for allowing us to be your flock. We don't deserve it. None of the things we've seen in this wonderful letter we deserve, but thank you that through Jesus' death and resurrection we're your flock, that you care for us, that all the stuff that's happening in our life even now we can cast on you, confident of the fact that one day we will rest One day we'll be safe. One day we will lie down in green pasture. Father, thank you for these things. We long for that day, but until it comes, help us to be good at caring for each other. Help us to be good at casting our anxieties on you. Help us to be careful to not drift away. Amen.